Zerts. This is Tackling Disaster Recovery with Zerto and HPE. This is part of a series that's been brought to you by WEI and HPE and Intel. We appreciate their partnerships whole overall concept is this idea of trying to win with a flexible and secure cloud experience. And today we're going to talk a little bit more on that secure front in terms of kind of disaster recovery uh, and and all things that Zerto does out there. Zerto is a Hewlett Packard enterprise company uh, to really help people with their uh, security of their data, uh, the resiliency that we need in our data these days. James Hilliard here as the host and MC and moderator. Glad to be here. Let me tell you what we're going to do. First 30 minutes or so is really our tech talk. Uh, we'll be kicking things off in just a moment with Kyle McCarthy. He is a client executive at WEI. Uh, just talking a little bit at a high level of what WEI does for their customers out there and the types of customers they do work with. Uh, they are an HPE Platinum partner. And so again, we'll go about a little background on WEI and how they support customers really across all industries. Then we will hear from Anthony Dutra. He is a technical marketing engineer for Zerto and glad to hit, have him on board. Again, drilling deeper into uh, disaster recovery protection as a service. I'm sure that's going to come up in part of the conversation. Uh, give you insights into how some of these uh, new modern HPE ProLiant Gen 11 servers that are powered by the Intel Xeon processor family out there uh, really help mitigate downtime and data loss. We all know that uh, right data is the gold of this century, and so we want to make sure that we're protecting that at all costs. So uh, that'll be the conversation, about 20 minutes or so with Anthony. And then we do have our special featured guests who will be joining us, Matthew Slater from the New England Patriots. He is special teams captain over there, three-time Super Bowl champion, 10 times out to the Pro Bowl. Uh, so really looking forward to talk with him and get some insights. We'll, we'll tie in, uh, obviously, some business-related content, and then we'll get into some good football talk as well. During that time, when Matthew comes on, we will re-engage the Zoom platform so that all of you can go ahead and uh, get your video feeds on. It's always fun to have you on there and have Matthew and other guests that we have be able to see you out there in the audience. So again, we'll do that in about a half hour to the platform. Also, I want to encourage you a couple ways that you can interact. It's not just me talking to Matthew. I'd love for you to talk to Matthew. So in the Zoom platform, it'll be great for you to do the raise your hand function. Uh, you can also use the chat if you want to chat in a question. Happy to ask it for you. But I'd prefer to see your faces on camera, have you raise your hand. I'll unmute you or ask you to unmute. And then you can go ahead and ask those questions of Matthew during that Q&A time. And again, we'll have about 45 minutes with Matthew. We do have some uh, assigned giveaway uh, from Matthew at uh, the we'll pull randomly from all of you that have joined us here today. So some memorabilia going out to someone on this call and also two tickets. Your names will be in the drawing for two tickets to any remaining Patriots game after our final event. I think that's in a week or so. We're doing four in this series. So after those are complete, we will pick one lucky winner and then we'll get two tickets to one of the remaining games for the Patriots this year. So anyway, that's what we're going to be doing. A lot of good stuff to get to here. Uh, first though, I want to get into the tech talk. And again, that's the first 30 minutes or so. And with that, Kyle's going to share his screen and I'm going to turn things over to him for a couple of minutes again for a little background on WEI, of course, sponsor for this event. So with that, Kyle, I will go ahead and uh, let you know when I see your screen up there so you can share that at any time. And looks like it's starting there. There's our title okay. screen. There's Matthew, who we'll be seeing in a little bit. Um, and with that, Kyle, I'll, uh, I'll put it in your hands. 
Okay, awesome. So uh, thanks, James. Uh, my name is Kyle McCarthy. I'm a client executive here at Worldcom Exchange Incorporated. So uh, pumped to get Matthew Slater on the call. I'm a little bummed because um, kicking myself. My only Patriots jersey is actually Matthew Slater. Uh, I think he's just a, a great player on and off the field. So excited to uh, have him join us later today. And I, I won't take up too much of your time um, and delay him. So, um, but whether you're familiar with WI or not, um, hopefully you'll learn something today. And, uh, you know, we've been around for over 30 years now. Uh, founded in 1989 by Belisario Rosas. Um, he's from Peru and he's still owned, uh, full owner of the company uh, with his wife, Leslie. So uh, we've grown since then uh, quite a bit. We're up to almost um, almost 200 employees now, I think. And out of that, um, over 80 certified engineers. So this is really where we distinguish ourselves from other resellers. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're debt free, we're privately owned. Um, this allows us to be flexible, both from a financial perspective and a, a technology perspective and really put our customers first. So, um, you know, still got that small business feel. Um, we've done almost $400 million annually lately. And um, it's notable that um, almost a quarter of that is shipped globally. So we can certainly scale up and scale out to uh, across the world if needed for some of our larger global customers. Uh, you can see some of them down there. Um, these really, you know, they run the gamut in regard to industry. So our engineers have definitely uh, seen it all when it comes to use cases in that regard. But also great, you know, to be nominated for, you know, supplier awards and um, both from customers and from, um, you know, industry awards. Um, and of course, you know, our ex in that expertise and customer success, you know, our our customer relationships tend to tend to last very long, which is great. Um, you know, and it's it's typically because our engineers, you know, they have all those certifications and they become really intimate with our customers' environments. So, um, as most resellers, from what I understand, you know, we we started out building servers for customers and really in that data center practice. Since then, we've expanded to you know several different areas. Uh, just recently, we've uh, really built out our cybersecurity practice. Um, also, really strong with experts in the cloud, AWS, Azure, um, and one thing I want to focus on um, is obviously, you know, our backup and DR capabilities, but um, as you can see here, it really runs the gamut. So our networking and security practice, that's really strong. It's been around for um, over 12 years now, I think. Um, so, you know, certifications and engineering and OEM expertise in, in all of these areas. So um, whether it be, you know, DevOps or, or um, performance and cost analytics when it comes to the cloud and public cloud and, that cost optimization, so we can help with uh, a lot of that. And and I'll you know point out you know down below there as the, the project management and staff augmentation across all of these core focus areas. Um, so obviously you know our project management team can help out with you know rolling out large projects and and also we know a lot of people you know in the IT industry. So if you're ever looking for you know to staff up for three months or six months or even permanently for day two operations uh, once you you know take on a new project or just looking for some help. Um, you know, we can help out with that with our staff augmentation team as well. So here's a little bit about, um, you know, how we do go above and beyond as a value-added reseller. Um, you know, like to put, like to say we put the V in VAR in this way. So uh, starts off from the pre-sales where, you know, we really want our customers to get some meaningful experience with that technology before they invest in it. Uh, we can do this through our demo lab. Um, you know, we can configure and build uh, multi-OEM um, demo demo capabilities in our in our lab. So, in that lab, there's over five million dollars worth of gear there. So, um, you know, you could do that remotely, or you could actually come to our HQ and play around with different technologies. So, 
Um, and then, you know, if you if you decide to choose on one, you can, can roll into a proof of concept. Um, and as I mentioned, multi-OEM infra infrastructure to make sure everything op operates smoothly between each other. Um, and then also our integration services. So I'll get into that a little bit more, but we're totally able to, to rack and stack gear, integrate it on site. Um, when it comes to stuff like end user devices, we can install images at our headquarters and ship it out to the cost, you know, to the end user uh, ready to go. And um, in post-sale support as well. So obviously we're not going to not going to fall off the face of the earth for you once you, you do go through with something. Uh, we'll be your first line of defense and, uh, you know, pick up the phone, make that first call. Um, and we're always happy, um, you know, to stand by uh, our services in that regard. And then through this entire project, of course, there's a lot of knowledge transfer from our team to yours. Um, so that's very valuable as well. So this has been, you know, more relevant than ever uh, with COVID. I know lead times are obviously getting a little bit better, but as I mentioned, we do have over 100,000 square feet of space up in here, up here in Salem. So um, we actually just invested in the building across from the parking lot, um, a bunch of customer inventory uh, in this warehouse. So, you know, obviously there's situations where you might invest in a large project and some gear comes in right away and then you're waiting on, you know, little things like transceivers or SFPs and you don't have the space to keep all of that gear. So, um, you know, certainly providing a lot of values to our customers there by Posting some of this, some of their inventory, and, and shipping it out just in time when they need it. Uh, we can also also rack and stack full data centers, and um, you know integrate those switches and, and whatever you need, and, and ship them right to uh, any location that you need. So, and as I mentioned, you know at our facilities we have that integration capabilities. So everything that gets brought into WEI will be tested for zero, you know, dead on arrival products. Uh, make sure when it gets to the end user or the end location that it's it's ready to go. So uh, obviously we can help out with firmware updates. So in the case where you're, you know, you're rolling out a switch or a server and, and um, you know, all at different times, for example, we'll make sure that, you know, firmware is up to date on all of them. Um, so certainly we can be flexible here as well. And, and as I mentioned, you know, this stuff can ship globally. So I'll just touch on that real quick that we've landed uh, gear in over 120 companies uh, countries, I think, at this point. So, um, you know, a great way to see how we do it is to come take a tour at WEI. So you can see how the logistics work in the background and really see how we're able to scale out for uh, these large customers. But so with that, uh, of course, today, you know, we want to focus on uh, a great partner of ours, Hewlett Packard, and and with their partnership and acquisition of Zerto, um, it's really gained a lot of momentum. So I had to hover on, you know, one thought here, it's that that note at the top where out of 20,000 HPE North America partners, we rank number two in engineering certification. So you can see on the right there, just a few of the guys uh, we constantly are adding to this team. And, you know, as it says there, there's another dozen or so that are, um, you know, phenomenal at HPE and everything that um, they offer. But um, so, yeah, with that, I, you know, I'll pass it on to, um, to Anthony and, and you can talk a little bit about our partnership with HPE and of, of course, Zerto, so. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Kyle. I love that last slide in particular um, because you do talk a lot about the GreenLink platform. What I'm talking about today will be about how Zerto now being part of the HPE family uh, is part of the GreenLink platform itself and why it's really great to work with partners such as yourself in order to help people sort of onboarding or really getting um, sort of assessed with a disaster recovery strategy itself. 
And what we introduced here with HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery is a much more sort of software defined approach and sort of easy onboarding to DR um, that you can pretty much uh, unlock in a fast, flexible way. Um, so hi, everybody. My name is Anthony Dutra. I'm a technical marketing engineer with Zerto, a uh, Hewlett Packard enterprise company. And today I'll be going through just that with this plat uh, with the HPE GreenLake um, for DR platform itself. So uh, aside from the uh, absolutely amazing Patriots player that will be on later today, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are here because you are to some degree are afraid about losing or um, having experiencing downtime within the data center today. Um, as you would obviously know, that would be costly to any business if any application within their IT uh, infrastructure went down. And there's an enormous rise in ransomware uh, sort of taking over many of our organizations. Um, I am going out to Vegas later this year, and I'm very afraid to be staying uh, down there because of many most recent attacks, as I'm sure you guys have heard, um, tend to occur to even the largest organizations who you would think would be the most secure um, out there. But as we can see, ransomware is on the rise, going to cost billions by 2031. Disruption and data loss is a no-no, really doesn't really matter what T, uh, you know, size your business is, uh, you can see there a staggering 250K an hour it can cost for just being down. Um, and then add in levels of complexity with trying to digitally transform to the cloud, trying to adopt containerized applications. Uh, we're going to see an enormous spend in IT uh, services in the future uh, because a lot of this stuff is complicated and will require us to, uh, you know, maybe do possibly have some downtime that we need to recover from. And it's not going to be easy, uh, you know, overall in terms of future outlook uh, for your IT operations, right? You need software that is going to keep you online uh, and operating, and it's much easier if it is pretty much cloud-based. Um, so that's exactly what we're offering with HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery. On the back end, it is very much the Zerto technology that I'm sure a lot of individuals here may already know and use. Uh, but now we're delivering it straight through the GreenLake DSCC console. And we're making it a lot easier for you to recover from a disruption uh, as well as manage multiple sites uh, from that disruption um, in, again, just that sort of one single uh, cloud interface overall. It's that same automated and orchestrated um, DR. I'll kind of dive into what exactly that means in a little bit later in this presentation, but all of the great stuff that makes um, sort of Zerto Zerto is now inside of this uh, DR, uh, DR solution in the cloud, and you are able to take advantage of it in a much more uh, flexible consumption model overall. So a quick overview of some terminology that you'll hear in this. And again, why it's great to have WEI here. Um, if you are looking for IT assessments, well, okay, how much are, what is our actual recovery point objectives or recovery time objectives that our business can suffer? There's a lot of good IT assessments that they have that will help you determine that uptime or downtime and what that cost might actually be to your business. So you can see their RPO is how much, uh, you know, what's the maximum of data loss that we can afford? And the RTO is, hey, how fast are we getting back online after that problem did happen? And ideally, what you want uh, is a data protection platform like HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery 
to give you that full CDP or continuous data protection. Having that great balance between, hey, we're gonna lose as minimal uh, or as really as less data as possible. Uh, and we're gonna get back online as close to zero uh, as we humanly can. And what makes this possible is what we call a, a journal technology. Um, and I'll kind of dive into that in the, in the next slides here. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about sort of the key differences, what makes CDP very, very special. Uh, the first thing is the near synchronous replication. We'll go into that journal that I alluded to in the last slide, and then how we basically make everything that you're looking to protect um, very application centric. So when you do come back online, you know that everything is back online in a state that is operationally efficient and is ready to go. You're not having to do anything on the back end yourself to get it, um, to get it going. Um, anything that we'll talk about from the uh, recoverability that this uh, software provides is automated and orchestrated for you, and you can even do some non-disruptive testing, so it's very, very hands-off in terms of uh, DR uh, software and how you use it and how you sort of uh, scale into learning it. And of course, this is all delivered from the uh, HPE GreenLake um, cloud. So it's going to be very easy to operate. You're going to have some monitoring porting uh, built in there. Uh, and again, uh, WEI offers a lot of GreenLake uh, services. So they would understand if you are looking to sort of expand into the HPE GreenLake platform, maybe with compute ops management um, or maybe the private business edition. Well, how does this DR play into it as well? So it's really nice. Uh, to sort of have that team as well when you're going through um, sort of looking at these technologies to have that in the in the back of your mind also. So let's talk about the near synchronous replication. Uh, again, if you know anything about Zerto, this is what really makes us uh, special and why we uh, have been put as the DR tool for uh, GreenLake. Um, we operate at the software layer, so you don't have to buy any extra hardware for aside from the things that you're replicating to and from. Uh, and we don't require any scheduling, no snapshots. We're not making you install any uh, agents on each virtual machine that you have. We let you sort of do this very granular near synchronous replication to multiple different sites with uh, a very easy approach. And what makes us special and uh, different is that journal. So not only when you replicate to a second site, can you roll back, but you can roll back from a very, very granular point in time, mere seconds before something actually happened. And I, I don't know if I'm dating myself here, but like a, a VHS, right? You hit the rewind button, a DVR, any way you kind of want to think about it. Um, when you fail over with Zerto or you decide to migrate or, or you know replicate with Zerto, you choose a very specific point in time to recover to, and it's very granular for you to recover um, back with as well. So it's uh, super kind of cool to use uh, and conceptually, um, I, I mean, I mean, I wish I had a, a, a journal to roll back to in my own life, um, but in this case, it's, uh, it's, it's all in the virtual world. And then uh, as sort of many uh, nerdy people know, uh, an application isn't necessarily made up of uh, one giant virtual machine running on a uh, 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 ProLiant server somewhere, right? It's made up of multiple virtual machines that run on ProLiant servers somewhere. So what Zerto does is basically group those uh, virtual instances together when we're protecting it. 
uh, which allows them all to come up at that exact same point in time together. Um, so, you know, your data is not coming back online. Your database is coming back online before the front end or anything is an out of whack, right? All of this is uh, consistent uh, and allows you to replicate and recover uh, very seamlessly uh, and quickly. Uh, and all this is automated and orchestrated for you. So all you're really doing is going into the Greenlight console, uh, telling which virtual machines you want it to protect uh, by setting up what's called a protection group. And then everything from there is going to happen behind the scenes. Uh, and it's a very uh, hands-off and easy approach to managing uh, sort of disaster recovery. And when it comes to actually having to do a failover, if you want to test failovers, it's just as simple to manage all through uh, the GUI interface itself. Uh, automation is, again, built right into this um, solution. So when you do install it into your environment, we're detecting all of the virtual machines, all that critical infrastructure virtually that needs to be protected. Uh, we're automating the failover and testing failover process. We're automating the recovery of the applications when, again, that time does come. And if you are very, very nerdy and super technical and you want to expand it, uh, with maybe some code of your own. We have uh, APIs available for you uh, to tap into and maybe automate some processes more that might fit into your business. Um, again, WEI, good partners there to help with sort of projects like that um, and kind of expand your disaster recovery runbook um, you know, with the solution. Ah, talking about run books itself, right? Uh, the non-disruptive testing of, of uh, HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery, which is basically zero. Um, a bit in a nutshell, uh, when you do run a failover test, we're not uh, interrupting production within that process. So all of your uh, virtual instances are still very much running and doing their own thing. We just kind of uh, basically create that copy of it on the back end you spin it up, see how it looks uh, in the sort of testing environment, and then say, yeah, it looks good, push a button, and it all goes down for you. So literally what this slide is saying is exactly that. Everything is automated, orchestrated, and you aren't going to have to worry about sort of taking time out of your application's busy day in order to test a uh, disaster recovery uh, operation for it. So very, very simple and easy to use. Zerto is... HPE Greenlight for Disaster Recovery uh, obviously is uh, extensible, so you can replicate and do all of this uh, granular level of uh, failing over and moving uh, not only between on-premise uh, infrastructures, but also to uh, some select public cloud providers uh, in the future. And again, if you're looking for an easy deployment operations, everything is right through the DSCC console, right alongside all of your other um uh, services that you would be using uh, if you are sort of uh, managing uh, Intel um, servers today, you want to use compute ops management, right? That's also within the DSCC console. You can easily interoperate between your DR as well as your normal production environment, all again through this single pane of glass. Uh, for those nerds out there, this is kind of what a architecture view looks like. Um, uh, your host, ideally, again, uh, HPE ProLiance, 
would be running um, VMware virtualization technology. And then when you download HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery, we have these little workers on each ESXi host that are doing that very near synchronous replication between sites. So it's a very, very small footprint that uh, we are putting um, onto the environments that you're replicating in between. And it's extremely easy to use because again, you're literally going to a cloud console, downloading something and managing everything from uh, your web GUI uh, overall. Real-time monitoring reporting, obviously we're going to look into uh, you know, what you're protecting. And then we have uh, on top of that, what we call a resilient score to show how effective um, what you are protecting is actually, you know, is actually doing. Um, so are there any uh, issues or has a protections group been down for a certain amount of time? Well, that's gonna impact maybe the health score of uh, your protection group levels. We kind of give you that information and insights built again, right into the dashboard. So as you kind of uh, look at your DR strategy in unison with everything else that you're managing uh, through the GreenLake console, you're able to see how resilient you actually are. And it's just a great report back to higher ups, making sure the health of your IT environment is, um, it's, it's a digestible way to develop insights, right? Something again that I wish we would, uh, we wish we would have in our personal lives. Um, so reduce the you know high downtime of the high cost of downtime with CDP. Um, again, if you're looking for um, a nice, very good IT assessment, definitely reach out to partners to do so. Um, look at sort of backup technologies, storage replication technologies, and then compare it to how uh, sort of operationally efficient HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery is. Um, you can see that it can drastically minimize the impact of your downtime from a cost perspective uh, compared to many other things out there. But again, it's very important to sort of sit, do that assessment first. Um, and make sure that you're, um, you know, calculating the, you know, the the dollar value of what that downtime is because it, it can be quite significant. And obviously with HP GreenLake for disaster recovery, that rewind and recover functionality in minutes uh, with a CDP solution makes it uh, top tier. All right. So basically this will wrap up everything that I pretty much uh, hopped on for the last few minutes there. It's HPE GreenLake for disaster recovery. If you're looking for a solution to provide you that fast, flexible uh, recovery option from any sort of disruption, whether it's ransomware um, or just downtime from uh, physical server disruption, you do have this tool available for you. Again, it's in the cloud console and very easy to use. It's almost kind of like a do-it-yourself DRAS uh, where you're just going to, you're logging into GreenLake itself pulling down a little image of what you would need for the replication technology, deploying it, and you're kind of off and running with just a few simple clicks. Um, and then again, you're managing this alongside all of your other IT infrastructure that is uh, living within uh, GreenLake itself. And all of this is automated and orchestrated for you. I cannot stress enough how great it is to not have to uh, do much of the manual processes that this does already for you. So having that in a bundled uh, sort of software service uh, is very um, uh, easy to adopt, easy to scale, um, and lets you easily manage from end to end uh, your full disaster recovery operations.
So I thank everybody for their time. And I think we are kicking it back to you, James. You are, Anthony. I got a couple stats for you and one question. Here are the stats since we're talking some football today. Uh, Nerds said with love mentioned three times by you. And one VHS reference, and I think that's the first time in about 10 years I've had someone reference <laughs> VHS and rewinding and all that. Some folks on the call might not even know. Uh, I know. Those I'm... are the stats. Here's the question. Uh, and, and and then we'll be uh, joined by Matthew Slater. He's joined us online here, so we'll get to, over to that conversation here in just a moment. But in terms of... Uh, you you said early on disaster recovery strategy having a strategy that is key right technology is great we need the technology but the strategy is important when you have been out there talking to teams what are the best teams doing in terms of that strategy is it everybody all in on the same strategy is it owned just by one or two people and they're the ones that are in charge and everyone else just follows along what's what's what have you seen on the kind of people side of a disaster recovery strategy the ones that have implemented it the best okay i think the ones that implemented it the best definitely have more policies in place uh again the more people that probably are on the team um that um are are uh, are part of it. It definitely helps depending on their experience. But I think the best advice that I could give, um, if you are looking for a, a very good uh, disaster recovery strategy or really any sort of data protection strategy, it's about having layers of defense um, that makes part of it. So it's not only having DR, but to your point, also maybe having um, some sort of threat assessment that's part of that solution. It's having these multiple layers of protection that's very much important. And it's those organizations that can do that well and make sure there's synergy between each of those players that are protecting them uh, really allows for um, uh, probably the most successful that I've seen. All right. Well, I appreciate that insight. Anthony's going to hang on. I'm sure we'll hear from him and Kyle towards the end of our event. Now, though, uh, my pleasure to bring on board and, and roll things over to New England's Patriots special teams captain Matthew Slater joining us for uh, our conversation. I see he is online. I'm going to shoot him the old ass to unmute uh, through Zoom. There he is. Matthew, thank you for joining us today. James, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You just heard Anthony talk a little bit about layers of defense, and that's really what football is all about, is uh, defending your house, defending that ball, defending uh, your other uh, players uh, out there. Uh, just talk about, uh, that's where I want to start with you, is the the idea of everyone having the same winning strategy. That is something that the Patriots are known for uh, and is a good uh, focus for the organization. Can you talk about where things stand for you uh, now as one of the more veteran players on the Patriots and how you continue to try and drive that into the younger players that you're now coming on board and mentoring? Absolutely. That That's a, a great point. And whether you're talking about football or business, everyone having the same winning strategy and being on the same page is so, so vital uh, if you want to have success. I know for us, uh, one of the things that we preach is putting the team first. And I think when you talk about having success um, as an organization, you have to have members of the team that are bought into that concept. Uh, You have to first and foremost understand that it's not always about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my individual success. Uh, I want to see the the big team, the big picture be successful. 
uh, and that's going to require some sacrifice. That's going to require me to put my ego aside. But I think for so long here in New England, uh, that's been one of the first things that all of us had to understand when we came into the building was, hey, it's no longer about you as an individual. It's about the team and the team's success. And often individual success can come from the team's success. But if you put that individual success first, we haven't seen a lot of teams across business and or sport really succeed when it is just about the individuals, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's one of the, the things that we tell young guys, you know, young guys, when they come into the NFL, they're worried about a lot of different things. And some of that uh, revolves around, you know, contract situations or personal accolades. And I, a good friend of mine, Devin McCourty, used to always say, uh, if we win and we're successful as a team, all of that other stuff will take care of itself. Everyone will end up happy at the end of the day. Uh, but if we don't win, um, kind of what we're experiencing now, then the individual stuff uh, will really come apart and everything starts to come apart. So, you know, team success uh, trumps everything, especially in our business. And, and that in turn, like you said, leads to individual recognition and success. I don't want to stay too long on this point, but uh, the season is not going as you and everyone is is hoping right now. So how do you, as a veteran player, keep your calm about you and and, and share that with others that might be uh, losing for uh, one of the first times in their career? This this obviously is, is a little unknown territory to you as well because of all the successes you've had. So how do you keep that in perspective and keep persevering and look at next week as, you know what, next week might be that week. We're going to make it the week. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back on track. How, how do you uh, express that to your teammates? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that because um, I know for me as a leader on this team, uh, as someone who's been a captain for 13 years for this organization, I've had the experience, uh, I've had the good fortune of experiencing a great deal of success. And I really haven't had to navigate much adversity, especially the way I have this this past year. So uh, controlling my emotions has been a a big theme this season. Um, Obviously, we're all very frustrated um, that we're not getting the outcome that we would like. Um, But I think as a leader, as an elder statesman, it's important for me to control my emotions to step back away from the situation from time to time and then readjust my perspective. Um, I think it's easy to get your perspective out of focus in times like this. And I think it's now it's my job to readjust my perspective and then relay that to some of the younger players or guys who haven't had as much experience in this league. Um, it's, it's proper. It's, it's so paramount that we keep things in proper perspective because that kind of gives us direction in terms of how we should operate. So for us now, our perspective is, hey, we need to focus on our fundamentals. We need to focus on our process. We need to focus on all the things that equate to winning. And we just need to do them a little bit better. And instead of worrying about what's going wrong, now let's just focus on the things that we can control. And hopefully in the long run, the outcome will start to change. Well, we got a lot of Patriots fans on board here. Uh, WEI, our sponsor company, based up in New England. I know they're all pulling for you and the team and uh, and looking forward to the remainder of the season. I want to take a brief pause here and remind everyone that I've got a bunch of questions for Matthew here. Uh, but we also want to give you the opportunity to ask Matthew some questions. So at this point, I do believe our team on the back end has modified the Zoom platform. So I believe you can get your video camera feeds rolling now if you would like to. Uh, it's always fun for 
for uh, folks like uh, myself, Matthew, to see who's out there in our audience. And then uh, there is the function within Zoom to raise your hand. There's an electronic function. I think it's under the, the three dots there. So you could go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, and then what that'll do is I'll see that on the tool. Then I can go ahead and call you by name, ask you to unmute, and we can get you on for some questions. If you don't want to do it that way, you can also go into the meeting chat and either to James Hilliard, send me a chat in there, or you can send it to the whole group and I can read those out as well. So those are a couple of things we can do with the remaining time here. Um, let's talk a little bit of tech on the sidelines. And there was something that Anthony was showing earlier uh, about the technology we were discussing in terms of disaster recovery, real-time monitoring, real-time feedback. And you all have the ability now with those tablets on the sidelines to see things in real time. First off, what type of adjustment was that like for you when that first made it onto the sidelines? And are you a big user? Do you, after a special teams player, is that one of the first things you go back and now check those tablets and see what went on, get some real-time insight so you can plan for the next uh, sequence? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so amazing. Um, when my career started in 2008, uh, now it's a 2023, just the changes uh, in, in terms of technology, in terms of the game in general, so much has changed. And this is one of those changes that I really love. Uh, I love to be able to get real-time feedback on what happened uh, on the field so we can discuss it, uh, make necessary adjustments and move forward. We use the Microsoft Surface tablets, which are fantastic, uh, to just be able to say, instead of, I thought this happened or it looks like this, um, we can now have concrete evidence. Hey, no, this is what happened. Uh, this is how we need to play it. This is how we need to adjust. We used to use the pictures. Uh, they would print out the pictures and you're sitting there and you've got paper everywhere and you're trying to sift through uh, where you are on the on the picture. Uh, that was very challenging, trust me, compared to this. So it, it's great to have the technological advancements that we have. Another thing that I love is during practice, we have actual video. So we can have a period in practice and maybe we didn't like a look or something like that. We can actually go uh, and watch the video in real time before we even go into the meeting room and make the adjustments out there on the practice field. So I think that makes the experience for players a uh, hundred times better than what it was. And, you know, I, I think these technological advancements are really making the game better. I'm going to try and make a business tie here to a little bit of what we're talking about and the football world, but specifically to your role, special teams. There can be games where you're not doing a whole lot because the flow of the game, whether it's interceptions or things like that. So you might not have a chance to get out there. So for you, my belief, and, and correct me because you're the one playing, but sometimes it can be, wait, 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 wait. Now I got to go out there and do it. And now I got to do it again. Now I got to do it. Then maybe wait, 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 wait. Disaster recovery, dealing with our businesses, securing our data, kind of the same thing. Yes, we're always vigilant. We want to make sure that we've got the right things in place to secure our organization, but we don't necessarily always feel we're under attack. And some of these then technical folks are on with us. Then all of a sudden they are under attack and they have to perform. So how do you go from wait, 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 and then be there to perform and, and deal with that very um unstructured unscheduled playtime that someone especially on special teams might face yeah that's a great that's a great point and you know i would take that one step further and say not just in business but life that's how life plays out uh, sometimes we go through seasons of life where things are going fine and we're kind of on autopilot and then all of a sudden you might have a moment of crisis or you're called into action 
and you need to, you know, be ready to go. So I would say for me, that all comes back to uh, your approach and your preparation. Um, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances are, you have to be consistent in your approach, consistent in your character, uh, consistent in just how you go about doing things. Uh, if you do that, when your number is called, whether, you know, football, business, life, you'll be ready to go. Uh, the issue, the issues start to arise when you become inconsistent or complacent. Uh, hey, you know, today's not really our day. Uh, you, you start to zone out a little bit. Hey, we haven't been able to really have an impact on the game. You start to feel sorry for yourself a little bit. Uh, those human uh, tendencies start to creep in. So I think you fight that and combat that with your preparation, uh, your mindset, and just being really, really faithful to your process. If we have a process and we know that process is tried and true and we're faithful to that process, then when our number is called, uh, whether in the game of football, the game of business, or the game of life, we'll be ready to go. I appreciate uh, appreciate that and your expansion there. Uh, let's get some football-related questions in here, a little more focus here. Rick is on board with us. He chatted in. What's your uh, thoughts on? Do you have a preference on turf or grass? And on the turf front, do you feel that it is uh, injury-making uh, for more players than grass out there? What are your thoughts, grass, turf? That is a, a tremendous question. And without a shadow of a doubt, every NFL player will tell you that we want to play on grass. Um, you know, the issue that we've had is getting a hold of the data, right? Uh, there's much debate over what does the data actually say? And it's our belief as players that you're 16% uh, 16% more likely to sustain lower body injuries on turf. And then there are further statistics that will tell you uh, that the significance and time missed from those injuries is higher when you're on turf. And just uh, anecdotally, you ask guys how they feel after playing on turf and they'll tell you terrible. So for me, I want us to be like FIFA, put grass in all the stadiums. And if there's not grass, we won't play. But, you know, I know we, we have some steps to make to get to that point, but absolutely we want to be playing on grass. All right. With that end, let's follow it up with where has been your favorite field to play on. And I'm going to let you even expand this going back to your youngest days to where you are right now. Ooh. Favorite one or two fields that you've ever played on. Wow. That is a tough one. Um, but since you expanded it, I would say Notre Dame uh, and South Bend as a junior in college, when I was at UCLA, we went and got a chance to play out in Notre Dame and it was amazing. Uh, just all the, the rich history there, the tradition, you know, touchdown Jesus, all the things that are part of that experience. Um, it, it's just something I'll never forget. And I've played in Super Bowls and I've played in a lot of big games, but Going and playing in South Bend was pretty special. Your boy David Andrews said uh, he loves SoFi, loves Allegiant, loves all the new, but give him a Green Bay any day. I second that. I just I think David and I are similar in that we have an appreciation for history, an appreciation for some of these franchises that really got the league to where it is today. And certainly you talk about Curly Lambeau, or George Hallis with the, the with the Bears, the those fields, those stadiums, there's just an aura about them that's unmatched. So, 
I mentioned to you, you've got a lot of Patriot fans on here, our uh, partner, our sponsor here, WEI up in uh, New England there. But this is just you and me, two California kids now talking. Long Beach, SoCal, I'm a Bay Area guy. Um, you, you did everything in L.A. And then you got drafted to New England. How long did it take you to adjust to the winters? Well, it, you say that as if I've already adjusted it. 16 years later, I, I don't know that I have. <laughs> that California blood is still in me, uh, that Southern California blood. But, you know, it was, a, it was certainly a process, especially I remember playing in my first snow game. And there was a voice inside of me that kept saying, they're going to cancel the game. Surely they're going to cancel the game. We can't play out in this. But no, they don't cancel games in New England. So that was one of the toughest parts of uh, the adjustment and moving here was getting used to the weather, you know, going from a place where it's 70 degrees year round to going to a place where it's you, you get sub-zero temperatures. But I've grown to appreciate it. And like my wife always says, that's why they make warm clothes. So put them on and, and get out there and get it done. I need to apologize because I just did you dirty because now we got all these New Englanders making fun of you and me, these like lightweight West Coasters that can't handle a <laughs> little bit of cold, right? <laughs> um, again, folks, if you have questions for Matthew uh, in the chat, you can type them on in if you want to get on camera and raise your hand. I'll look for that in the queue and be able to move you in here as well. Um Let's talk a, a little bit about, uh, oh, well, let's do this. Kyle raised his hand. And uh, so before I get to something, Kyle, why don't I go ahead? I'll hit you that ask unmute. And so you can unmute there. And uh, as soon as I see you, there you go. You're unmuted. What's your question hey, for Matthew? Hey, Matt, thanks for joining. I actually uh, I grew up like 15 minutes from the stadium myself. And I have your jersey, but I'm kicking myself that I'm not wearing it today. But big fan. Thanks for joining. And um I like to ask players, you know, as a special teams veteran, you played against so many guys that were phenomenal kick returners or punt returners. Is there anyone that you just hated lining up against that you were nervous and, you know, some of the best returners that you might have seen that you didn't like to play against? Great question. And, Kyle, I appreciate the support. There are not a lot of people out there with Slater jerseys, so I certainly appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I think there's one guy that comes to mind, and if you ask many of us, it's going to be the same guy as Devin Hester. And, um, you know, there's a reason that he had the success that he had in this league. Uh, I can I can start with his vision, his balance, his size, his speed. Uh, there's so many things that he did at an elite level that you knew every time you kicked him the ball, there was a real possibility that he could uh, return it for a touchdown. Uh, I remember playing in Chicago in 2010 in a snowstorm uh, it is a total whiteout, and some of the cuts that he made, I don't think guys could make on a in a perfect condition on a perfect field with everything just totally lined up for them. He was able to do things that I really haven't seen anybody do in 16 years, and uh, I'm glad he's retired now. I hope he's enjoying retirement, and glad we don't have to cover against him anymore. Kyle, I appreciate the question, Kyle. Jumping into the chat, Gabrielle asking, what's the training, Matthew, that you hate the most? Is there a type of conditioning, early season, mid-season, end of season, a specific type of training, something that just, ah, I got to do this again? That's a great, uh, great question. So we have this thing called bout runs. And uh, what it is for us is just three minutes of consistent running. Uh, we cover as much ground as we can up and down the field. Uh, and we do three sets of that. So 
three minutes, three minutes off, three minutes, three minutes off, uh, three minutes, three minutes off. And that doesn't sound very hard to my distance runners, but as someone who is strictly a sprinter and hates running distance, uh, every Thursday in the off season, when we have those bout runs, I just like, I don't sleep well the night before. Cause I know this is going to be a struggle. It's something that I don't enjoy, but it's a necessary evil, obviously. Um, you know, it helps so much with our conditioning and our cardio base, but it's something I certainly don't enjoy at all. But it's a necessary evil of <laughs> what you need to do out there. Uh, I saw Patrick in the uh, chat as well. Uh, basically, going back to a little bit of what we, we were starting to talk about, but I, I'd love to dive a bit deeper here. When you first came on, talked a little bit about connecting with uh, and mentoring and, and being that elder statesman, that leader out there. Patrick, we're wondering, what are some of your best strategies of connecting with those uh, from a younger generation, a younger group, communicating effectively with them so that message gets heard? And this is probably football-related life-related, definitely business-related as well. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it, it's all about relationships. Um, you talk about leading people and uh, trying to get them to pursue a, a common goal with you. You can't do that if they don't know that you're relationally invested uh, in them. And for me, uh, my leadership style has always been through human-to-human uh, -human connection. Like, I want to know about you. I want to know about who you are off the football field. I want to know about your why. I want to better understand how you were brought up, um, the things that you like to do outside of football, your family background, uh, all those things I try to, you know, put into my, download into my hard drive and incorporate in my leadership style. Because I think in this business, especially, uh, it's very production driven. And sometimes we forget the, the people behind the face mask uh, and their stories and um, you know, everyone has such a unique journey. Uh, no two journeys are the same. And I believe that everyone's journey should be acknowledged and appreciated. And in my experience, when you do that, you're really able to connect with, with almost anyone. And then when it comes time for you to ask them to do something, or when it comes time for you to instill a principle, um, they're, they're more receptive. And then, you know, you mentioned the younger generation. A lot of times what we make the mistake of as the elder generation is we don't listen. We don't do a good job of listening to uh, what their experience may be, what their opinion may be, because we think we know better a lot of times. And I know I'm guilty of that at times. Well, you know, back in my day, we did this or when we won Super Bowls, we did this instead of maybe, hey, maybe this young guy has uh, an experience that I haven't had that can help benefit the team. So trying to listen and actively listen, uh, I think has been really useful for me as I've, as I've gotten older in the league. Um, and it's, it's helped me uh, continue to be able to stay in touch with those younger players. You mentioned getting to know people, family. Can, uh, can you and I talk about you and your dad for a moment? Absolutely. All right. Uh, for those that don't know, I hope you know, but Jackie uh, Slater, uh, 20 years, his entire career with the, the Rams. Um, I read something. I want you to confirm if this is true or not. Um, read that he got into coaching a little baseball as a way to direct you away from football. Is that true? Can you explain a little bit about how that played out? That is absolutely true. Um, you know, coming up in Southern California, my dad, wanted uh, my brother and I to stay as far away from football as possible. Uh, and that was, 
there were a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, he didn't want us to feel the pressure of having to walk in his footsteps. Obviously, having such an accomplished career, there are expectations that people had of my brother and I when we started playing football that were probably a little bit unfair. Um, and then the other thing was just he know he knew and knows how hard the game is on you physically. And he always said, I did this so that you didn't have to. So he did everything in his power to steer us away from playing football. He, like you said, he coached baseball. And the running joke is he never played a down of baseball in his life, but he was coaching baseball. So you know, he was coaching baseball. He was coaching track and field. He was even out there on the soccer field hooting and hollering. Uh, just doing anything he could to redirect us from football. But uh, what he could not uh, overcome was that he had two sons that looked up to their father and whatever he did, we wanted to do. Um, so if my dad had been in business, I wouldn't have wanted to do football. I would have wanted to be in business. If my dad had been in medicine, if he had been a school teacher, if he had been a, um, you know, a public official, th that's what I would have wanted to do because of the relationship that I had with him. And because of the impact that he had on my brother and I as young people. 2001, he went into the Hall of Fame. Does he ever pull the jacket out on like Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, Father's Day, puts it on the jacket and make sure you guys see, see that? Yeah, he's not shy about wearing that jacket whenever the opportunity presents itself. Uh, that's one of those jackets you can't buy. You have to earn that one. And he uh, he sure as heck earned it. And, uh, you know, we're so proud of him and. You know, we don't mind when he pulls it out. That's good. That's good. Hey, how about uh, coaching in your future youth level? Uh, I actually asked this of, of David Andrews and, and Dave was like, man, I don't know if I would do it at the professional level. He's just he's got the, the, the little ones at home. Uh, but he was like professional. Your coaches spend so much time. We know you guys spend time there, but the, the amount of time. So he was like professional and not off the off the, the board, not going to do. But uh, coaching, something that you uh, think about doing in, in some manner down the road. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would probably echo what David said. For me, I have four young kids, and I don't think my wife would want me there game planning and spending the night at the, the facility and things like that. But I do feel I've learned so much through the game of football, um, not just about football, but about life that I, that I would love to pass on to young people. So if that meant coaching uh, at the youth level, I have three sons. Um, maybe if they wanted to play football at some point, I would love to be able to coach them. Uh, and I just enjoy being with the kids. Uh, you know, the game's pure at that age. It's it's about the love of the game. It's about having fun. And, uh, you know, I'd love to to do that at some point in time down the road. I've been coaching for 15 years, uh, baseball, soccer. Um, I'd love to know your advice right now as you sit here today. Advice to parents out there with kids that are in any sport, gymnastics, swimming, taekwondo, football, advice to parents on dealing with youth sports and in a mentality maybe that we can all learn and bring to youth sports. Yeah, the landscape of youth sports is is very challenging. As you know, having been involved with it for, for so long, and uh, there's so many different expectations from parents and children. Um, and I always say this, uh, you know, you don't know where the, the sports journey is going to end or where it's going to take you. Um, but if you're going to um, travel down that road, try to instill in your kids uh, the importance of competing. Um, 
I tell my kids all the time, whatever you do, I want you to work your very hardest at it. I want you to be the best version of yourself at it. Doesn't mean you have to be the best player on the team, the smartest kid in the class, uh, whatever it may be, but I want you to maximize your God-given ability. And I, I would encourage parents, um, you know, when they put their kids in sports to make sure that their kids are competing. Yes, uh, it's, it's about fun. Um, it's about being together with teammates. It's about all those lessons. But you have more fun when you win. You have more fun when you give your best. And then I think that carries over, right? In life, uh, as I lead a family, as a husband and the father, I have to strive to be my best uh, version of myself as a husband and as a dad. Uh, so I am competing, in essence, in life. And we all have to compete in some way, shape, or form. So I think there's a lot of carryover. Um, but, yeah, that would be my one word uh, to the parents out there with kids and youth sports. All right. Well, I do. I do appreciate that. And uh, I'd echo a lot of what you just said. You just said it very, very well. Um Let's do this. Patrick got a question here, and I want to play around with this for a little bit. Uh, in terms of some of your other teammates out there, do you think you're playing with anyone now that could have been a stud in another sport? Do we have any other uh, baseball? I'll, I'll tell you a little story briefly. Uh, I grew up in San Mateo, California. I think you know a guy that went to San Mateo, uh, came from San Mateo, California. I was at Aragon. He was at Sarah. I was a senior. He was a freshman. We heard about this Tom Brady guy as a pitcher. We weren't hearing about him as football. We were hearing about him as that baseball pitcher to watch out for in our area. And then lo and behold, what? he can throw football too. Um, so who else uh, that you're playing with currently or you've played with before that could have studded out somewhere? Well, if you ask the guys on our team, Every one of them would tell you, oh, I could have played basketball. I could have done this. I could have done that. Uh, the one guy that really impresses me is Brendan Schooler. Um, his mom was a volleyball player, and he grew up playing volleyball, um, grew up playing a number of sports. But he's just one of those guys that if you ask him to do something, he's going to do it at a high level. If we're, if we're playing basketball, he's going to be dunking the basketball. If we're playing volleyball, he's going to be jumping up over the net. Uh, he's just super, super talented. So he'd be the one guy that I would say could have had success uh, playing another sport. There are other guys um, on the team that did have opportunities to play basketball in college. Uh, so they're not just talking. They did have uh, some opportunities there. So, you know, we, I get a chance to work with some of the best athletes in all the world. And uh, those guys are pretty good at a lot of things, not just football. Yeah, yeah. Um, opportunity to be around sports is something that continues to expand. And in my area, we just got uh, now high school sanctioned uh, girls flight football. And the overwhelming response to these young ladies coming out there and trying out, and they came from all fields of play, from soccer, from softball, from basketball. There was just, and, and the coaches, I know a few of them, they weren't expecting it. They thought, oh, we'll get 20, we'll field the little team. They had 80 girls come out. The, the appetite for football is huge. Their thoughts on flag football out there, how football continues to expand and reach so many different groups? Oh, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, I love the fact that now our game is available to everyone uh, because I think it's such a great game. It, it teaches you so many valuable lessons uh, beyond what happens on the gridiron. But, you know, having a daughter myself, uh, now there's an opportunity for her without the contact to go and play 
football she likes. Um, she, she certainly loves the game, even at six years old. So I love that um, the popularity of the game is growing, uh, the exposure. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping to see this become an Olympic sport uh, with, with women. I, I just think it's great. And the more people that can engage in the game, uh, I think is a beautiful thing. Obviously, I have a clear bias, but uh, I love to see it and, and, and hope it continues to grow. You did bring up uh, earlier and in, in some of the comments and chats in here led off with, oh, yeah, sometimes we forget that these NFL players are people, too. There are a lot of other things that they do. Uh, 2020, big year for you. You've mentioned your wife once or twice here. You started and, and founded the Slater Family Foundation. I wanted to take a, a moment here and just have you give a, a high-level overview of what you're doing with that foundation, what you hope to accomplish. Uh, I really appreciate you asking that. Uh you know, for, for my wife and I, we feel uh, as though we've been very blessed. And, and with that, we, we feel like we have a, a huge responsibility to not just take those blessings and keep them to ourselves, but to really pass them along. Uh, we've been given such a unique platform to the NFL, and we want to use that to uh, impact the people around us, uh, to hopefully um, elevate them, empower them, bring them hope, uh, bring them resources, whatever it is that they're lacking in some way, shape or form, we, we, we try to meet that need. So our family foundation has been really active in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, my wife attended school uh, down in Providence. We met and dated in Providence. So we really have a heart for the people of Providence. And there are a number of needs down there. Uh, you know, they're underfunded and under-resourced schools, there's a, a great deal of gun violence going on. There are people that are hungry and can't meet the, the basic needs there. So really what we're doing is uh, partnering with uh, nonprofits that already exist down there or partnering with schools or partnering with uh, pastors in the community and just trying to meet people where they are. Um, that's going to look a little bit different case by case, but we're so thrilled about uh, the work that we're able to be doing there. And we hope to continue it beyond uh, my playing days. Uh, our plan is to stay here in New England once I retire. Uh, and, and we feel a sense of strong connection to the community. And we hope to continue that work through our foundation. Okay, so that means you're going to continue to buy those warm weather clothes. <laughs> yes, I am. I, I Those winter coats will, will keep rolling in. couple beanies, too? Yeah, exactly. You right. see the hand here. I got to have a beanie on this. <laughs> Little trivia. I want you to play a game with me real quick here. What number in terms of seconds did Mr. David Andrews put up in his pre NFL workout 40 yard dash? What was his number? I'm going to say 5.1. 512. Oh, look at that. I didn't look that up. I no. I didn't give him a chance to look that up. That was, You could have done a quick Google and check, but I, I didn't. Yeah, spot on with that. Do you think he could still run that? I think he could. I think he, he might need a good warm-up, you know, a little massage beforehand, but I think he could. 
You talked about competition a little bit earlier. Uh, do you guys have an opportunity sometimes to relieve some of the pressure and steam and just line up against each other and you challenge some of these guys to a race? Uh, you know, what, what are some ways that you bring some levity, especially again uh, in times where things might not be uh, achieving the outcomes you're looking for? How do you keep that levity there and, and, and keep some perspective that it is a game we're blessed to have the athleticism we have. We're out here hanging with our boys all day, uh, all week long, all season long. How, how do you keep that? And what are some things you guys do for that levity and that fun? That is a great, great question. And it, it's obviously something that's been really, really relevant this year. Um, for us, we're always competing. Um, in the locker room, uh, we have cornhole. So guys are lining up and 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 throwing the, the cornhole bags, we have a basketball hoop in the weight room. We're always playing pig or horse in there. Um, they, we let the younger guys race. They can race. When you get my age, you're like, all right, you guys go do that. Save so, it for the field. But, yeah, exactly. But I think we do a lot of things together that encourage kind of that camaraderie, that brotherhood, uh, that encourage good, healthy competition and, and, and keep us together. And, and certainly with a year like this one, that's very important. Uh, that we stay together, that we stay united, that we stay focused on our goal, like we talked about at the beginning of this. Um, and I think any way we can do, any creative ways we can come up with to kind of promote that togetherness is something we try to do. Is that something, as a team captain, is that something you do collectively as captains and come together? Uh, have you had a captains-only meeting recently and say, hey, guys, this is uh, outside of what the coaches are doing for us to technically game plan and all that. This is how we have to keep the people together, our family together, our brothers together. Do you work collectively as captains to do that? Yeah. You know, some of that is spontaneous and just kind of happens uh, on the spot. But I think some, a, a lot of that is very intentional. And you mentioned a captains-only meeting we have those weekly uh, where the captains meet with Coach Belichick and we discuss things on and off the football field. And I think there's a lot of intentionality in terms of what we need to be doing to keep the team united, uh, to keep the team motivated, and uh, to keep the team moving forward in a positive way. So it does take some intentionality. I think we have a great group of guys that do a great job of, of uh, you know, leading well. And, you know, hopefully that starts, in our case, it starts to lead to some good results intentionality having a plan i'll go back to some comments anthony was talking about when we were talking about disaster recovery and and all that so you have to have a plan you can't just wing it when you're trying to protect corporate information these days it used to be an afterthought it's actually something to talk and bring up to anthony a bit later on but disaster recovery protecting things used to kind of be afterthought and now it almost leads every single technology conversation every you have to have that mindset do you have some strategies that you might be able to share with us for some team members? They are so focused and they just do the thing that they're told where you have to have some creativity. You have to have the ability to, okay, this was the plan, but now things have changed and we have to adjust to that. Do you have tricks and tips that you try uh, to use when you come across someone who might be too laser focused and they need to loosen up a bit so they can be creative and, and maybe then be more productive? Yeah, that, another great question. I think for us, we oftentimes see this with younger players. Uh, when you come into our meeting rooms, you're just being pounded with information. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, we want you to do this. We want you to key on this. We want you to read this. We want you to make that adjustment. And they start to play in a very robotic 
style. It's just very, everything's very robotic. They're not thinking outside the box. They're just, I was told to do this. I need to do this. And that takes away from what makes guys special. You know, these guys got to this level because they have special and unique ability. Uh, so for me, that usually just uh, starts with a conversation. Hey, man, like, I will literally say, you don't need to be a robot. You know, use what God gave you. And if you see something on the field, you need to trust that. So I think the biggest thing in getting over that hump is getting guys to feel comfortable. Uh, that's why sometimes uh, for us, for our unit, we do a players-only meeting on Saturday where, okay, we've had a ton of meeting time with the coaches and getting game plan, but ultimately it boils down to these couple of things. And if we're able to do these couple of things within our own gifts and skill sets, we'll be fine. So just encouraging guys uh, not to be robots out there, to be themselves, to play with freedom uh, and creativity. I, I just think that goes back to just the relationship and being able to have that dialogue and conversation with guys. We're going to look to wrap things up. I got one last question for you. I asked you about pops and the jacket. You got uh, three pieces of jewelry for your hands. Um, where are those on a regular basis? Do they come out if you have guys over for a little poker game or if you're going out for a bike ride or a jog, do you sometimes slip them on just to, you know, enjoy having them with you? Well, I'll tell you, those things are obnoxiously large. They're like so big, <laughs> which I love. But uh, my wife has those in a, a safe deposit box. They only come out for special occasions. But obviously for me, uh, that's why you play the game uh, to have the ultimate team success to win a Super Bowl. It's very, very hard to do. Not very many players are able to win one. And the fact that I've played in five and won three is something I'm very proud of to be able to say I was a part of those teams. And maybe there'll be a time later in life when I go to the grocery store and I happen to have all three of them on. I don't know. I, I, I can't make any promises. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um. We appreciate you. I think on behalf of everyone here, uh, not only being on here as a football player, but being on here is just a really cool human. Uh, really some uh, appreciate the kindness that you shared about your family and being able to discuss that and share with all of us. Really give us some of uh, those insights as well. This was a special conversation, so I really appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks for taking time and, uh, and joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, James. Thank you. All right. Good stuff. Well, I uh, hope you folks uh, enjoyed that conversation as well with Matthew. I want to bring Kyle and Anthony back on board. I'm going to unmute, uh, ask both you guys to get un unmuted there. Um, and one of the things I, I want to just get a little comment from each one of you and, and Anthony, maybe I'll start with you because as I talked to Matthew and asked about that flexibility, um, that's one of the things that a lot of organizations in the business world these days, they're looking for that flexibility. They don't want to just be told this is the one and only way because we know that there's not one and only way we get attacked uh one and only way that the ransomware comes through any of those types of things so that flexibility is that something that you also spend a lot of time talking to your customers about in terms of their approach to and their strategy for disaster recovery yeah absolutely and again it goes back to that sort of defense in depth conversation um we kind of a lot of businesses to your point that you mentioned earlier when they're thinking about disaster recovery, it's sort of a second thought. Well, today it's pretty apparent that it has to be higher priority for a lot of uh, C-level executives. So kind of you got to work with what you got within the realm of, um, you know, pretty much what your skill sets are 
and go from there. But it's very important to be flexible in terms of what you use uh, and how you use it and making sure that what you do use does play nicely together with things because, again, it's about working uh, together to provide that layer of defense. And, and Kyle, I know that I want your comments there, and I also know of the WEI team, a flexible team, a creative team. You showed that slide earlier with all those engineering certifications, and those are the folks these days that are really getting to drive some of these technologies, understand their full abilities, and then share that with customers because you and I both know, you get out and talk to a customer, IT director, sometimes they're so buried with that day-to-day -day work they don't get to get their head up and see what's going on. So having those engineering resources at a WEI that has been test driving and putting technologies like GreenLake and everything that Zerto brings to bear, uh, you know, through the paces, they can really share with those customers what's going on there. So flexibility, a couple comments there, Kyle. Yeah, definitely. I'd say, you know, not only are we, as I mentioned, you know, we can be flexible from a multi-OEM perspective and, um, you know, flexible, not a lot of red tape. We don't like to say no very often, but to your point, I'd say, you know, people will probably be surprised behind the scenes of how many vendors and solutions that we're vetting that never really make it into our portfolio of what we like to offer to our customers. So uh, as we're very engineering led and, and, you know, that's where our experts are, they're, they're the, really the ones who are deciding, oh, this is a good solution. We want to offer it. So obviously with our partnership with HPE and Zerto, you know, the that's fully vetted by our engineering team. And um, that's something that we're, you know, um, confident to put in front of our customers. So. Well, I appreciate both of you guys being here again. Our thanks to Matthew Slater for being on board. Folks, WEI.com for more information. Really do hope you enjoyed this event. Again, uh, at the end of this event, we'll be picking someone that's going to receive a piece of signed memorabilia from uh, aforementioned Matthew Slater. And that at the end of our series of these conversations, we have one more uh, down the road here in a few weeks. At the end of that, we'll be drawing someone's name from all four of those events, and you'll receive two tickets to a remaining Patriots game this year. So we'll be in contact and uh, all that. So good luck to everybody. Uh, if you are uh, looking for further conversations with the WEI team, uh, client executives like Kyle and the rest of his team, they're very happy to have a little lunch and learn with you. So feel free to reach out to your sales rep at any time and schedule one of those one-on-one -on -one lunches and just uh, stay in contact and discuss what you got going on. If you do not know who your WEI account executive is, that client team, then marketing at wei.com marketing at wei.com and uh, send a quick uh, email in and they'll get you in touch with the right person that can move you forward on your upcoming projects with that we're going to move forward on to the rest of the day we appreciate y'all taking time to join us here on behalf of intel and hpe again uh, our partners in this event uh, everyone from wei thanks you for joining us and we do look forward to talking to you all down the road